Hey Life Canton, Roger here, one of your pastors. So glad that you're with us, whether you're a first-time visitor or a long-time listener. I want to welcome you to our Christmas Eve service recording. Hope that you have or had a wonderful Christmas season. Before you listen to this message, I also want to remind you that God is up to a lot in our community, in our church, and if you want to participate in that, there are many ways that you can do that, but one of the ways is by giving financially to what God is up to. And that includes his movement in our 10-year vision, which is to reclaim our identity in Jesus and to bear the torch of Christ's justice and love to the community around us. So be sure to take advantage of the opportunity. If you want to give a year-end gift, that would be much appreciated and go a long way towards supporting what God is doing in in our vision and work in the next uh, couple years. So be sure to take advantage of those opportunities. I also want to remind you that we believe you belong. To this community. You belong to God, so you belong to us. And we want to help you get plugged in so that this is more than just a uh, thing that you listen to, but a community that you participate in. So you can do that via the Connect card. And both of those things, the Connect card and giving, you can do on our website or on our Church Center app. So be sure to do that. Uh, This is a message from Pastor Jared, our Christmas Eve message, like I said, and he'll be talking about the importance of being spirit-led this holiday season. So give that a listen, and I'll catch up with you in just a moment. Merry Christmas, everybody. I'm so glad to be with you. Uh, It is good to be together. Welcome to Life Church. I am Jared. I'm one of the pastors. I want to make sure that you get connected. If you're newer here, we want to say a special welcome to you. You can uh, fill out a Connect card by signing up through a QR code on the screen if you would like to with your phone. And then we would love to reach out to you and help you take some next steps. If you have any trouble with that, you can just go out to the lobby. We'll meet you and greet you there along with some refreshments as well. Uh, Kids, I am glad that you are joining us as well. I hope uh, you get to have a different experience with us. I do need to warn you ahead of time. Uh, My kids already told me that my sermon was boring, so... um, uh, hopefully I'll, I'll liven it up a little bit for you all and, uh, and we'll be good to go. But we are celebrating a whole lot today. We're obviously celebrating Christmas. So we say Merry Christmas and we could say that. But also, uh, you might not know this, but a couple weeks ago, we celebrated something. We're still celebrating. Uh, we had Jaden, who was on piano. She's our Life Kids director. We can't call her Jaden Bright anymore. You know why? Because she got a new last name. She got married to Shay Rhodes, who's up in the tech booth as well. So we're excited about that celebrating their union together and their new life together. Um, there's also another celebration. It's a little pending though. And, um, and so let me take a poll first. Um, I didn't actually finish getting dressed today. So I'm wondering if you can help me out, if you would be okay if I just went ahead and like put this on first. I am a humble servant of the Lord. You don't boo your pastor, but I just, you know, I figured it, would this be a distraction to the sermon or make it better if I just tossed this? Okay. Wow. Okay, so this is going to be a talkback sermon. That's cool. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll hold off for now. I'll tell you what, if the Lions win, I won't wear that for the rest of this calendar year, okay? All right. Let's actually get into the meat of what we're going to talk about today. In fact, if you're newer here, I want to let you know that we have been talking about something throughout this last month. Uh, a lyric from a song, All Is Calm. The song, of course, is Silent Night. We're going to sing that later on. Uh, But we've been talking about this line, All Is Calm. We've been asking, do you feel calm? Does Christmas make you feel 
calm. But maybe there's mixed reviews, mixed answers when I ask you that question. Some of you are yes, some of you maybe not so much. Um, we've been looking at the first century Christ, uh, Christmas and realizing that it actually wasn't all that calm. It was really chaotic. It was a big mess in the first century before Jesus even came into the world. And we're realizing, oh, it, it wasn't all that calm. But yet, in the midst of that, we learned about some figures in the story who were able to find a sense of calm through silence, solitude, and Sabbath or Sabbath moments, as John talked about that. If you ever want to learn about any of those messages, you can always go back on our website or on our podcast and listen to any of those if you'd like to. But today, we're going to finish our final installment of our Calm Christmas. We'll talk about that in just a second, but I want to ask you a question. Do you think our culture makes us, uh, it, the way our culture does Christmas makes us more or less focused on ourselves. More or less focused on ourselves. I'll tell you, for me growing up, Christmas was all about me. What am I gonna get out of Christmas? What am I gonna get for Christmas? What am I gonna get for my aunts and uncles, my mom and dad, and all those kinds of things? And really, Christmas was about me. It was focused on me and what I get out of Christmas. And then what I realized is that the first century Christian uh, Christmas, the, the ancient Christmas, there's a whole lot of people that weren't all that different from me, that were actually quite selfish, quite focused on themselves as well. We're going to look at one of these stories that maybe you haven't necessarily heard before. We're going to look at it together. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to join me in Matthew chapter 2. If you don't, no worries at all. It's going to be up on the screen and we'll read along together. Here we go. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. So there's a whole lot of geography and names of places mentioned in this section. So how many of you kids, you like geography? You like looking at maps and studying maps from time to time? Uh, we're going to look at a map together. I want to kind of just give you an idea of where this is all taking place. So this, this is Israel right here, but we have men coming from the east, wise men from the east, who interpret stars uh, and believe that the stars tell a story. And they are traveling to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is like the epicenter for all things Jewish, for all things Judaism. And, and so they are wanting to know about this newborn king and there's a star that's going to lead them to it, but they got to go to Jerusalem to kind of figure out where is this all taking place? Because if somebody's going to know that somebody is going to be in Jerusalem, but also it mentions that it's during the reign of King Herod. Herod, uh, his place where he kind of hangs out the most is, is this place right here, just below Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is where it's all going to take place. Okay. So What's interesting about this, though, is that these wise men are here to see the newborn king to worship him. But did you notice what it said before that? Let's look at that verse one more time together. It says, during the reign of King Herod. So wait, there's already a king. There's already a king in place. Why are they coming to see a newborn king if there's already king? King Herod. Let's talk about King Herod for just a second, okay? Let me tell you like this. King Herod is kind of an evil supervillain of the story. He's not the best dude. He's kind of selfish. He is one of those people that's focused on himself. When things don't go his way, he takes people out. He takes villages out. He just, he does what he wants. And he's, he's really a supervillain of, of the story. Okay. I'll just be super clear, but also he's not really one of them. You know what I mean by that? Let me, let me illustrate it this way. I did bring this Jersey for a reason. Now just bear with me. No booze for a second. Okay. So this is a particular Jersey. This is one of my favorite players. This is Adam Thielen. Now, Something about Adam Thielen for Minnesotans is he's one of us. He's one of us. He, he's not, uh, he wasn't a super 
popular player growing up. He grew up in a small town of Minnesota, just north of the cities. And then he went to a small time university in Minnesota. And then eventually he tried to get um, on Minnesota's practice squad. That happened. And then eventually he did enough to get on the team and eventually play. And by the time he started playing, he was actually really good. He was kind of a nobody, came from nothing, came from nowhere, but was from Minnesota and then became really good and got on the team. And then every time he would score, the place would erupt because why? He's one of us. He's one of us. I could say the same about Aiden Hutchinson, but it wouldn't really feel all that real to me, you know, personal. So he's one of us. Herod, he's not one of us. He, he's not one of us. He's not part of our group. Uh, I'll, I'll explain it this way. Herod grew up uh, with an Arabic ethnicity, but then that wasn't really his life. His life was more cultured by the Greeks, and that's a whole different thing. But then he had a particular political persuasion. He wasn't Republican or Democrat. He was for the Roman Empire. That was his thing. But that's kind of weird because he also had a faith and his faith or his religion was Judaism. So he's a conflicted guy. He's coming from all of these different places. He's ethnically Arabic. He's culturally Greek. He is politically Roman and he is religiously Jewish. He is not one of them. He's not part of the people. He's not fully Jewish, fully from Israel. He, he, he doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Why is he king? Why is he in charge? And on top of that, I mentioned he was selfish. You want to know how selfish he was? Let me show you his house, one of his houses, okay? This is called Herodium. Where do you think he got the name? From himself, yes. This place is massive. I've been there. This dwarfs Ford Field. How many of you have been to Ford Field before, right? Like the, the stadium, it's, it's massive. It's huge, right? There's lots of places to go. This place is massive. You have to climb up this path to get all the way to the top. And there's all kinds of things. There's palaces, separate palaces within. It serves as almost like a military fortress, but there's also like auditoriums for where they would do performances. There's all kinds of things, tunnels and caves all within that. And if you get to the top and you look out, you can see north, east, south, west. You could see everywhere from this place. It's massive. And Herod spent a lot of his time hanging out in here, doing his things that he wanted to do for himself and then sending people out whenever he wanted them uh, to do something for him. Imagine being a poor, oppressed Jewish person in the first century and living in and around this area. And you look up and you see this. And you see the way that Herod is living. And yes, he is part of their Jewish faith. And yes, he's considered a king. But do you think they see him as king? No, they see this guy who is partnering with the Roman Empire, who doesn't care for them, who doesn't have their best interest at heart, and he is living in luxury. And he's fortified up in this hole. People are not fans of King Herod. But there's this new king that somebody else is talking about. Let's look at those verses one more time. And I want to point out something. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? These wise men from the East who, uh, study the stars. They believe that the stars tell a story. And we don't know much about their faith or if they're Jewish or not, but they believe that there's a unique star that's pointing to a particular thing, a particular event, and more specifically to a particular person, a newborn king. How do you think Herod feels about this? 
How would you feel if you were king of wherever it is that you were king and somebody came to you and said, hey, king, I'm actually here to see not you, but a newborn king, a baby king that's better than you. How would you feel if you were that king? Let's check it out. Let's see how he responds in verse three. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Everybody in the entire area was disturbed. King Herod's not happy. And guess what? When King Herod's not happy, everybody's not happy. Kids, you know about this. When you go home sometimes and your parents or mom or dad or grandma, grandpa, like they're not in a very good mood. You don't have to raise your hand or point to them, okay? Just, just between you and me. You ever have that moment though? Like when you just feel it. You just feel it in the house. Like mom and dad are not happy right now. I'm not sure why, but it looks like we're not going to the park today or it looks like I'm gonna get extra chores. Kids, your parents aren't looking right now, but just if that's you, if you've ever experienced that before, just raise your hand just a little bit. I'll, I'll see. Okay, I see. All right, all right, cool. I won't tell them anything. You're good. Yeah, we have these moments. I've had these moments where my parents are in like a really bad mood and I realize I'm just gonna go to my room and just hang out because you know I'm just gonna stay away from all of that. This is what's happening times a million with King Herod. When King Herod's in a bad mood because he's moody, he lets everybody know it. Everybody's gonna know it because he starts taking out his anger and aggression in violent and brutal ways. And it's not good. Now, let's see what happens in the rest of the story. Go on to verse four. So he, Herod, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law. Because remember, he's Jewish by his faith. And he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will, what does it say? Come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. There's a prophecy, there's a story that's been told that is speaking about this future event. This new leader, this newborn king is going to be one of you. He's going to come from you. Well, Herod, he's a, he's a bad dude. He's selfish, right? But he knows who he is. He knows he's not one of them. He's not part of the people of Israel. He isn't devoted to all of their things, to all of their activities. He knows that the way that they're speaking about this prophecy, Herod knows he's not him, right? Somebody else is coming. Somebody who will be one of you. And check this out. He's got to get, he's got to get other people to come and actually explain the scriptures to him. That's how not devoted he is to his own faith. He doesn't even understand the story. Let's keep reading in the rest of the story. It says this, then Herod called for a private meeting now with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Kids, do you think, based on everything that you've learned about Herod, that he's going to go worship this new baby? I don't know. I don't know. In fact, he doesn't even want to go himself to worship this baby. He sends the wise men to go do it. Again, he is selfish. He is focused on himself. All he thinks about is his self. There's another part of the story. Now we leave Herod for just a moment and we focus on the wise men. Let's look at their part of the story. After this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with 
joy. And they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. This is an interesting part of the story. There's a couple things going on here. So first of all, these men, remember, we don't necessarily know if they're Jewish or what their faith is like, but at least they know to tell the story from the stars. And they decide that that's enough for them to leave their country, travel in a big entourage of people, bringing treasure chests of gold and frankincense and myrrh, like all of these rare, expensive commodities at great risk. It is dangerous to travel that long of a distance, let alone with all of these gifts. And they want to go and see this star, or at least what this star represents. And they go to these people they've never even met before. They're overjoyed by this experience. And what do they do? They bow down and they worship the newborn king. Now, if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard that phrase before. But did you, did you read about that when they first met Herod? No, they, they didn't bow down and worship Herod. And that would have been very common in that day. In the ancient world, if you meet a king, if you're going to go and talk with the king and have a private meeting with the king, the king was also considered not just royalty, but almost like a god. If you're a king and a god, what do you do? You bow down and you worship them. They don't do that with Herod. He's not the true king, but they do that. This newborn baby, this family they have never met before, traveled a great distance to see and have now opened not just giving them a couple gifts that they wrapped, but treasure chests filled with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Talk about radical generosity. Their worship leads them to generosity. And they don't have a plan for how this money is going to be used. Like oftentimes we, we, need, we want to be really, you know, good stewards of our money, want to be really smart. And if we're going to give it to somebody, we say, hey, you know, go ahead and invest this into your 401k or put this in an IRA or something like that. No, they don't do anything like that. They just give them this money and then they go. Talk about amazing worship, selfless, sacrificial worship. Talk about radical generosity and major risk. And then check this out. The last part. God warns them in a dream to go home by a different way. Why? Why? Something significant must have come up. I want to show you this map one more time. Again, just to kind of see what this is all about. Because again, there's a lot of geography in this story. So they've come from the east. Most people believe that they came from Saudi Arabia. That's where these men are from. And so they've got to cross this great distance. Maybe they come this way. I'm not entirely sure but probably came up through this way, got to Jerusalem, went down to Herodium to talk to Herod, and then go back up to Bethlehem, which is not that far. But then they are warned in a dream to go a different route to get home. Which way are they going to go? Think about it like this. If you've seen a map of the area where we live, we're in Canton right now. If I'm going to go to Detroit, it's pretty much a straight shot east. There we go, right? And, and say I'm taking a camel or I'm going by foot. I'm going to take the route that is the least amount of energy to travel. And so I basically have to go through Wayne Westland area, right? Can't really avoid it. Unless, unless there's something significant that I need to do to avoid that area. I'm going to add way more time to my trip, way more risk to my trip as well. Something significant must have happened. 
for these wise men to decide we're going to go a completely different way. Herod, Herodium is down here, but Herod has his soldiers based in this entire area. They need to avoid him. They need to go a different way. What kind of significant thing would have happened for them to decide to go a different direction? Here's the thing. I want to contrast these two figures, Herod and the wise men. Herod is self-led, but the wise men become spirit-led in this story. We talked about Herod. He's selfish. He's brutal. He's violent. He can't even be bothered to leave his own fortress to go and worship this king that he says he's going to go and worship, right? He can't even bother, be bothered to, to go and, and do all of the work that he wants to do to, to read the scriptures. He's got to call other people to come to his side and to interpret the scriptures for him. He wants to hole up in his world and stay all about him. He is focused on himself. But he's not about to let some little newborn baby ruin his Christmas. And so he's going to send somebody out so that he can know where they are. Probably not to go and worship them. He is led by his self, his self-interest. He's self-led. The wise men, they start out being star-led. They're led by a star to go to this place. They travel a great and risky journey. And probably with an, with an entourage of people guarding and protecting their treasure chests of gifts. And when they get there, they are overjoyed at the sight of this family they've never met. Who's in a stable with animals and stinky things. And then they worship him. They bow down and worship this king who hasn't done a single thing yet. Except be born. And then they give. And they leave. But before they leave, they are warned by God. There was a spiritual encounter that takes place. They go from being star-led to being spirit-led in this Christmas. I want you to think about your own Christmas. Like me, growing up, are you self-led or are you spirit-led? And what does that even look like in your life? What does it look like to be self-led versus spirit-led? I've had to wrestle with that over and over, not just as a kid around Christmas, but in my whole life. How much do I do things that only focus on me and my self-interest versus caring about others? Here's the thing. Uh, I have traveled to Latin America, different parts of Latin America at times, and it's always interesting when I uh, engage in conversation with somebody, you know, you want to meet them for the first time, you say, como te llamas? Me amo Jared, right? That's the best Spanish I got for you today, okay? So that, that's what I would do. I'd introduce myself, tell them my name is Jared. But oftentimes they would try to respond back to me to ensure that they say my name right. Um, but in Spanish, the J sound doesn't always come out necessarily the same way. Sometimes it kind of has a Y sound or maybe an H sound. I have been called Herod more times than I would prefer. And I'm wondering, is that God trying to get my attention that I am more focused on my own self-interest? Are you self-led or are you spirit-led? And what's at risk here? What's the difference? Why does it even matter? Not just in Christmas, but in every part of our lives. See, the story actually continues and it takes a very strange turn. I'm just going to paraphrase parts of it. But in verse 13, it says, the angel told them, now he's talking about Mary and Joseph. So the wise men have already left this part of the story. 
They have traveled home. They took a different route. Now the angel of God is speaking to Mary and Joseph and says, get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. So now Mary and Joseph and Jesus and their family, they're not going back up north. They're going south. They're leaving altogether because they know that things are about to go down. Things are about to get dangerous because in verse 16, Herod was furious. He was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him and he sent soldiers to do what? To kill, to destroy, to wreak havoc in the area. It's not going to go well for everybody living in that region. Herod is furious. This is not going to go well. This is a brutal, violent story. Here's the reality of what it means to be self-led versus spirit-led. Herod is a self-led man. He is interested in only his own selfish ambition. And this pattern continues. When you are self-led, it leads to patterns of loss and destruction and death and decay. But when we are spirit-led, it leads to liberation. Mary, Joseph, the wise men, They are warned by God's spirit to flee to safety. They are spirit-led and it leads to their liberation. This is what's at stake between being self-led and spirit-led. Think about this. How many of you have heard the phrase, keep Christ in Christmas, right? We want to keep Christ in Christmas. That's a good thing to say. It makes sense, right? But what kind of Christ are we going to keep in Christmas? That's the thing that we have to ask ourselves because Christ is a title. It's not Jesus's last name, like Jesus Smith or Jesus Anderson, right? It's Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. It's a title, a kingly title, the anointed one. What kind of king, what kind of Christ are we keeping in Christmas? Well, we have to look at the story to help us answer that question. This story highlights for us, uh, for us something that we need to understand about the kind of Christ that we keep in Christmas. First, we learn about Herod. He is a king of the Jews, sort of, but he's a self-led king. He's a king that's only interested in his own things, his own, uh, his own preferences. And he has everybody else doing his work for him. He's not the true king. And because of that, he is afraid that somebody else is going to compete for his throne. So he's going to do everything in his power to try to eliminate any potential king, but he is unsuccessful in eliminating Jesus. However, however, What Matthew is doing in the story is preparing his audience, letting us know that the kind of king that is being born into this world is a king that has a purpose that will ultimately lead to his death. You and I, we cannot separate the death story of Jesus from the birth story of Jesus. The kind of Christ that we talk about uh, brings in with it this story of both joy and loss and suffering and chaos. And it's scary. But we teach that, yes, Christ is in Christmas, but we also have to understand that the full view of the cross of Christ is part of Christmas as well. See, we are overjoyed that the Savior is born to us, right? Joy to the world. But the way the Savior saves is through his spirit-led, sacrificial death on a cross. And because of that, you and I are eternally liberated. It's the reason that you and I can sing, all is calm, all is bright. Your story, my story is filled 
with all kinds of joy and sadness and pain and despair and yes, even death. But the reason we sing all is calm is not to ignore those circumstances or to ignore the pain, but simply to remind ourselves that when we sing all is calm, it's the hope that one day all will be calm. All will be bright. There will be a day when there's no more crying or suffering or pain or despair or death. But until that day, we remain calm. We remain calm, liberated from the anxiety that this despair of our circumstances brings because we are led by a spirit that is far greater than ourselves. All is calm because one day all will be calm. That's why we sing. We're going to sing Silent Night as we do almost every year. And as we do, I want you to sing this song with a renewed vision, a renewed hope that regardless of whatever circumstances you're in, whether it's financial, emotional, relational issues, brokenness, all the things, the mental health that you're struggling with, and it doesn't feel all that calm. It's hard to sing those words all is calm because it doesn't feel that way. I want to ask you to sing with a renewed vision as we consider what it looks like for Jesus to enter into our world, to enter into our brokenness and to say all will be calm. Would you pray with me, please? God, amidst all of the bustling and the chaos, of our lives and of this season, we are reminded that because you came to earth 2000 years ago, that eventually all would be calm. Our souls, our spirits, our strength would be calmed by your everlasting liberating love. And so God, as we worship, as we bow down, as we worship you, as we give generously, God, we seek you. And we ask you, we plead with you, give us rest. Give us a calm Christmas. We pray that in Jesus' name. Hey, before you go, I hope you enjoyed that message, but I also just want to encourage you this holiday season, if there's anything that you are struggling with or processing or any kind of support that we can give to you, we would love to do that, whether it's spiritual, whether it's prayer, community, any kind of support and encouragement, we would love to be able to do that. So be sure to not only fill out a connect card, but indicate if there's something going on that you could use some support. Uh, fill that out on your connect card. So I hope you had a wonderful Christmas and that the rest of this season is restful and you find opportunities to be spirit led, just like Pastor Jared talked about. Merry Christmas. And we'll talk to you again next week.